now you're gonna bring it up and and just put salt on the wound will you stop yelling at me no live in the entertainment capital of the world no no you're making me nervous but seriously it's the tc martin show no listen you're making me nervous diagnosis Prognosis. Well, that's good. Osmosis. And they'll reset. Nowitzki again for the lead. Bang! It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. Are you like me now? 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 The doctor is now in. Finally looking. Inside of Kutakupo. Puts up the one-hander. Shot is good. Does it again. by Booker. Booker goes right at Middleton. Layup is good. Giannis has it to Middleton. Middleton puts up the jumper. Puts it in. Chris Middleton, another clutch shot of these playoffs. Chris Paul for three. Rebound Middleton. Knocked out of his hands. Picked up by a Pettacupo. Holiday. Ahead to Middleton. Suns have the foul. And instead, Mike Fugelzer calls timeout. And they're starting to celebrate here in Milwaukee. <laughs> 50 points. Only the seventh player in the history of the finals to have a 50-point game. Booker turns, shoots, fires, shot won't go, Tucker the rebound, and that'll do it. It's over. The Bucks have done it. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. 49 seasons to be exact, 50 years if you want to count 1971 to 2021. The Milwaukee Bucks champions of the world as they take care of business last night, 105 98, great game, great series. We'll dive into all of that uh, today. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, glad to have you with us here on this wild Wednesday edition as we break down the NBA Finals and uh, start out a little slow, a little sloppy, but uh, the party at the end. Yeah, it was an exciting game. I thought it was back and forth here and there. Once Milwaukee kind of got control, I had the feeling they're going to be very tough to catch up on, and uh, I thought it was a big uphill climb for Phoenix with the crowd, with the Deer District outside and everything. And, uh, you know, you got to give it up for Milwaukee. They made some adjustments after those first two games that they got dominated and blown out, and, uh, you know, the Suns didn't have an answer for it. It seems like the Suns were kind of going down, and the Bucks were flying, and Mm -hmm. When all is said and done, they get their uh, second championship, like you mentioned. I did think it was kind of funny at the end when they all had the championship T-shirts on and it said two-time NBA champions. And I'm like, yeah, two times over 50 years, but... All right, that's pretty cool though. Actually, I, 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 I just it to me it stood out because it was yeah, kind of funny. Too. It yeah. was like it was showing respect yes. for the Luel Cinder before yeah. he was Kareem Jabbar, yeah. Oscar Robertson, yeah. and all those guys. But at the same time, I thought. It's not even in the same century that you did it, but all right, you know it is two times that 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 part's accurate. That's kind of a a play on the Warriors 
because the Warriors were 50 years, believe it or not, uh, in between their championships. Well, and then they were long from Golden State for right. that first one. Right, exactly. <laughs> and actually, not, not exactly uh, you know, 50 years, because when they won, was the 75 team with Rick Barry, Clifford Ray, and, the, and all those guys. But uh, I don't remember seeing T-shirts saying you know, two-time or, or whatever, that, that sort of thing. But there was a reference you know, to that, that team in that era and, and that specific year as well, too. In that 74-75 season where Golden State won, and then obviously they came back and won several more, you know, uh, after that. But did they ever win one as the Philadelphia Warriors? That's what I'm saying. That's, you know, I'm not sure, you know, yeah. going back to that. But, yeah, you know, I think they, they were champions prior, yeah. prior to because that. Because I know more often than not, Wilt Chamberlain and those Warriors lost to Bill Russell and the Celtics, <laughs> the most dominant dynasty probably in sports history that people don't want to talk about anymore because most of their fans are no longer with us. Yes. <laughs> but the Bucks champions, glad to see it. Glad to see it, not just for that team, built the right way. You go back, and as you know, I, I spent 12-plus years in that community, and the years that I was there, you know, I talk about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, how bad the Milwaukee Bucks were. I was going back and I was looking like, you know, I would go to Bucks games and I'm a sports guy. And not just covering the team, but just going to games, you know, to new arenas, that sort of thing. And when I moved there in 2003, I said, I'm looking forward to this. But at that point in time, they weren't very good. During that span that I was there, it was 13 seasons. The Bucks had 11 losing seasons of those 13 that were there. And the two seasons that they were above 500 were barely above 500. They just weren't very good. But like I pointed out, people would still love to go to those games. The arena back in those days, the Bradley Center, still basically the same place. Now it's the Pfizer Forum, basically on the same property. But those days were, you know, people would, would uh, brave the winter months and they would go. And you would still routinely have anywhere from fourteen to sixteen or seventeen thousand fans. And last night you had seventeen thousand three hundred ninety-seven inside that building, and then sixty-five thousand outside in the newly remodeled, renovated Deer District there on Water Street, which uh, is a great atmosphere. And we've talked a lot about this, you know, during the course of of these NBA playoffs, especially the finals there. But I'm very happy for that community. I'm very happy for that city. And no different than the Green Bay Packers or the Milwaukee Brewers, it's a state thing. And it even goes beyond the state thing because, as we've talked about before, even people in Illinois are are fans of the Bucks. You know, people in the bordering states of of Minnesota, they're fans of the Bucks. But for that entire state to celebrate this championship today and from, you know, you know, the next few months or whatever, uh, just happy for them, glad for them, and really it couldn't happen to a nice community. And yeah, you and I we talk and along with all of our guests who are a little bit older, saying, Oh, you know, we like tradition shake our hand, you know, what should Scott Spricer say yesterday, raising our fist or whatever. But the bottom line is, these are the feel-good stories that, you know, when you can go back and you can resonate with to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor, 1971, Oscar Robertson, another guy I'm going to mention on that team that you know is fantastic as well as Bobby Dandridge. Absolutely. Those guys and those teams, fantastic. <clears throat> and to see that community celebrate and have the history, have the reference to that. I love it. Just, I simply love it. 
Yeah, no, I do too. And and a guy that wasn't on that team, but another Buck player that I always enjoyed watching when I was younger. And again, it's a long time ago now, but I I, I didn't see any reference of him. So and I'm not even sure that he's still around. But Marcus Johnson, I used yes. to love watching him play mm-hmm. basketball. Mm-hmm. I remember going to a Bulls Bucks game years ago. And before I went to the game, it was right around my birthday because my birthday's in January. And January, and we always went to a game right around my birthday. If it was on my birthday, even better. And I had told my friends in that before we went to the game, I said, the only thing I want to make sure that I see tonight is I want to see Marcus Johnson get a dunk. And the Bulls, and it was a back-and-forth battle, and nothing was going on. And all of a sudden, Marcus Johnson didn't have a dunk. And the Bulls were about to win the game. They get a steal, they throw it down, and Marcus Johnson gets a dunk at the buzzer to beat the Bulls. And I'm like, I'm a little bit conflicted because, I mean, I loved the Bulls back then. They were my team. But I finally got to see Marcus Johnson get his dunk. And my brother and like my two or three friends with me, they all just looked and they go, yeah, you had to see him get a dunk, didn't you? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I didn't make it happen. <laughs> Number eight, Marcus Johnson. Marcus Johnson, Junior Bridgman. There were so many guys. You know, yeah, I mean, they had team. some really good players. They, they but, did. but again, and, and the other thing that it does for the NBA, in my opinion, it gives hope to every small market team out there. In an age in that, with the with everybody spending money and d- teams making their own dream teams in different places, in that, Atenacumpo a, a could have done that. He could have gone someplace yes. else. He stuck there. The, what's the first thing you did afterwards? He looked at Middleton, and they were like, "Hey, we've been together eight years. We got it done together." If you're in a small market now, all of a sudden you realize that there is a chance because they got it done there. And, and it takes a special individual or individuals to make that happen. And it starts with the Bucks front office. And then it starts with selecting a guy like Giannis out of Greece, a skinny kid that, you know, honestly, he wasn't that good when he came in the league. It took him a while to develop, but they saw potential with this guy. We talked to B.J. Armstrong, and he said, I saw this guy back over in Greece and said, well, this guy could be pretty special. And I remember seeing old footage of him playing in Greece and playing in these relatively empty gyms and he came to Milwaukee. He had no idea what he was getting himself into at that point in time. He said, you know, never really spent much time in a cold-weather city. He goes, but you know what? This is the team that selected me. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to play hard for them. And then as he got better and better and better, you know, he, he had opportunities, you know, to bolt for free agency. And he says, you know, I, I believe in this. I feel a loyalty, you know, to this organization. They took a chance on me. And then... Things just got better and better for him. But let's remember, I mean, those first few seasons were still not good for Giannis. You're talking about the 2013 season. This team won 15 games. They were 15-67. and 67. Think about that. Right after they got him. And they got Chris Middleton at the same time. And really, those are the only two guys. And, and both those guys need a lot of work. Chris Middleton came out of Texas A&M. He wasn't a highly sought-after guy. You know, wasn't a, a, a high draft pick. And it's but, not like free agents were lining up to go to Milwaukee to help them out. That was the thing right there. They were they were not going to Milwaukee, and that knock on them. So then when the Bucks had continued to struggle and they hadn't gotten there, they've gotten you know into the playoffs and then got to the Eastern Conference Finals past couple seasons, and then they, they didn't uh, go anywhere past that time, the big question was that Giannis was probably going to be gone but what happened this this past December? He signed that contract extension to keep him there, and it was a super max deal. And I remember him being interviewed last summer, and he was saying, "We'll see what happens." But he was 
being courted. And he was, there were people that were interested in him. And I think that he was interested. But then you would still see him walking along Water Street and going to the restaurants and hanging out in Milwaukee. He just started a family. And he said, man, I just, I, I want to stay here, but I, I just hope that we get better. And then they added some key pieces. We saw the Drew Holiday acquisition. And then this was the year that put them over the hump. And again, they beat a team like Phoenix. Same situation as Milwaukee. Hadn't been good for a long time. Phoenix never won a championship. Close on a couple occasions. That 75-76 where they lost to the Boston Celtics. Paul Westfall, Alvin Adams, those guys got heard. But then you go to the 90s, you got KJ, you got Charles Barkley. But the Suns haven't been relevant for the better part of the last decade. Kind of like the Bucks. So it was a great series. It was phenomenal. But I think when we look at this story... The story is Giannis. He had 50 points last night. He had 14 rebounds. He did it all. He, he was blocking shots. He, exactly. And, and the other thing, when yes. he blocked shots, block shots is a nice stat, but a stat that I'd like to see up there, and I know it's controversial, is shots that are changed or affected. Because a lot of shots that he didn't block, he changed and intimidated. And guys that would normally make the shot that they were about to take were so far off or something like that that they got the rebound. You don't necessarily have to make the block. But when he blocks it and then controls it and starts a break on the other end too, that's like old school watching Wilt Chamberlain stuff yes. or something. Or yeah. it, It's just crazy. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly what I'm going to talk to our guest. So James Donaldson is going to join us, the the seven-footer who's actually in Seattle, had a very long NBA career. And I want to talk to James about that, about, hey, does Giannis remind you of somebody that you played against in that era? Because, again, there were more of those type of players with James Donaldson, Bill Cartwright, that era of guys, uh, you know, like that. So, but Giannis, yeah, he scored basically almost 50% of their points last night. Uh, He rebounded. He got steals. He got the blocks, which you alluded to. But for me, there, there were two key stats here. One was holding uh, DeAndre Ayton to 12 points. All right, That's the guy that you need to shut down. You can talk all you want about Devin Booker and Chris Paul, but we've seen those guys kind of self-destruct. They had no inside presence. And when Phoenix won those two games, Ayton was spectacular. He's phenomenal. The four games that the Phoenix Suns lost all in a row was because DeAndre Ayton did relatively nothing in those games and credit Giannis for that so again the guy did it all let's hear from Giannis at the podium last night after the game talking about what this season and what this series meant to him I started started playing basketball just to you know help my family you know um, try to get them out of the struggle you know the challenges we were facing when we were kids but man, I never thought, you know, I'm going to be 26 years old, you know, uh, with my team playing the NBA Finals, just playing, and like I was just happy just being a part, like you know, not even winning, just being a part of this of this journey, you know. And um, but I never thought ever when I'd be 26, you know, I'd be sitting in this chair with this right here and this right here. Man, it's been it's been uh, we've come a long way. All right, and again, a guy that you just love to root for. And to the casual basketball fan, they've seen him from afar, but they've never really seen this side uh, of him. And we'll talk a little bit uh, more about that uh, as, as we go on here today, about the humble side of Giannis as well, too. But again, after the game last night, uh, he was talking about this season and his teammates. 
obviously representing you know, uh, my country, my both countries, Nigeria and Greece. Um, a lot of kids from there, um, but not just from Nigeria, from the whole whole Africa, whole Europe. You know, I know that I'm a role model, but uh, like this should be should make every every person, every kid, every, anybody around the world to like believe in their dreams. You know, and no matter like whatever you feel when you feel down, when things don't look like it's gonna happen for you, or you might not make it. In, your career might be basketball, it might be anything. Just believe in what you're doing. Keep working. You know, don't let nobody tell you what you can be, what you cannot do. You know, people told me I can't make free throws. I made my free throws tonight, <laughs> and I'm a freaking champion. I made them, and I'm supposed to make them. You know, but I'm joking. Um, actually, I'm not. But uh, yeah, just believe, man. Just I hope, I hope, I hope, I give. People around the world, from Africa, from Europe, give them hope. You know that it can be done. It can be done. Eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, before I came to the league, I didn't know where my next move would come from. You know, my mom was selling stuff in the street. You, like, and now I'm here, sitting at the top of the top. You know, and I and and I'm extremely blessed. And that's why I cannot, I can never get, I'm extremely blessed. If I, if I never have a chance to sit on this table ever again, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm, I'm fine with it. But like, I hope this can give everybody around the world hope and allow them to believe in their dreams. The humbleness of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And there's something he said there really early on, and I don't know if people caught it, but I hope Charles Barkley and every other athlete, past, present, and future, caught it. When he said, I know I'm a role model. Because a lot of athletes want to put that aside. It's not up to me. You know, parents should be the role model. Yes, and they're right. Every parent should be a role model and help to raise their kid right. But if you are in that limelight and you have that mantle and that podium, a guy like this is so refreshing, it wouldn't surprise me if people in Milwaukee, and maybe even beyond Milwaukee, don't start rooting for Greece in the Olympics and other world championship games in that kind it's of true. stuff. It's true. Because he's yes. that damn likable, yes. and he's humble, and you can tell it's sincere. Mm. He's not reading off a pre-written statement. He's never in a controversy. He's not making apologies, and he accepts the fact that he's a role model and that it's not just in Milwaukee. It's not just in the United States. It's in Africa, in Europe. Mm. He's a worldwide role model because basketball is that sport. I found that so refreshing, and that's the first thing that caught my ear right at the start of that statement. Yeah, and again, for me, one of the reasons why I, I've liked him is because you see that humble side. You see the humble side. You see a thankful guy. And again, you're, you're right. He, he's never in the headlines for the wrong reasons. He's a family guy. He's a Christian guy. He's a community guy. And again, he comes over out of obscurity, out of Greece, no one knew who this guy was. Okay, he wasn't coming from Russia with all this hype like we saw Sabonis and Marcellonis and all those guys, you know, way back when, right? This is a guy that the Bucks took a flyer on and didn't know. And again, the guy he's a he's 245 pounds now. He came over here at 180 pounds when he came over here. And you look at the pictures from from 2012, 2013 to where he is now, but 
I love it because he could have went to L.A. He could have went to New York. Well, no one wants to go to New York. He could have went to, to the other teams. But yes, and we've seen other superstars out of the same mold. Dirk Nowitzki comes to mind. You know, from Europe, these European countries, and they come here and they are embraced. What Dirk Nowitzki do? All he did is win titles, become the face of the Dallas Mavericks. How many teams did he play for, Dirk Nowitzki? One, yeah, right? He played for Dallas. Exactly. Not, not only that, Dirk Nowitzki, good or bad in some ways, because I appreciate his talent, to me, he completely changed the game. Because no seven-footer was shooting three-pointers before him. He made everybody think that, hey, if you're on the court, you've got to be able to hit a three. To me, he revolutionized the game. Now, too many seven-footers that shouldn't be shooting three-pointers try to do it these days. But in my opinion, Dirk Nowitzki completely changed the game of basketball in the NBA and in the world. He was like, look, I can go down low if I need to here and there, but that's not my bread and butter, and that's not how we're going to win. So although I hate that the three is the main focus for a lot of things, then you get a guy like this kid here now, and he comes in. He tries to shoot threes, but he still knows his bread and butter is down low. So to me, he's like Dirk Nowitzki 2.0 because he's taking that – I'm going to add it to my game, and I'm going to get better at it, just like I'm going to get better at my free throws. But I am big, and I should go down low as well. So he's trying to implement the entire game, but Dirk changed the game forever. Yeah, again, made made it global too. Again, and this, you know, he was one of those guys that, you know, hey, let's let's start looking at Germany, start looking at France, start looking at these countries, just not European countries, but uh, the way basketball is. Uh, you know, uh, uh, overseas. Uh, Giannis, I'm glad he talked about the free throws because the two things for me, like I said, was the defense last night and the free throws. 17 for 19 from the stripe last night. And the Bucks as a team, even though they didn't play that well, they committed 18 turnovers. They were 25 for 29 at the stripe last night. And Giannis, big time, yes. And he's, he's, he's heard the, the cat calls. He even admitted that you know, the people counting, especially there in Phoenix, it kind of got to him. And, like and you I, could tell that it did. I mean, because, yes. because yeah. it, I, I like the one reporter after like the first or second game, and they're like, well, can you hear the people counting? He was like, there's 20,000 of them. Of course I can. Yeah. You know, he didn't shy away from it. He didn't go, no, 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 I can block that out or something. Of course you hear it. Well, like I said before, you know, he, you get him at home, and he's more focused, and the Bucks shoot better free throws at, at home. And so does he. 17 for 19 last night, 25 for 29 as a team. Uh, one of the key factors why the Bucks won. All right, more from Giannis post game. It's, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been a long journey, man. I've, I've, I've done it all, man. I've done it. All. I did anything I could just to, you know, be on the court, just to be in this position. You know, I've, I've, I've not played. I've, I've uh, come off the bench. I've, uh, when I was 18, I started in the, the team. I've uh, went to the front office and tell them to send me to the G League. I want to develop. Like I've done, you know, I've, um, I've uh, played point guard. I've only defended slash from the corners and everything, you know. And uh, my fourth year, I was able to lead as a ball hand. Like I've done it all. And uh, tonight, it was just a. Uh, that's what I had to do tonight. You know, I had to do a little bit of everything. I had to defend, I had to rebound, I had to block, I had to do a little bit of everything. But people that helped me throughout this journey, man. John Hammond that drafted me and believed in me and believed in my family, brought my family over here, made me feel comfortable, made me feel like I was his son. You know, when I was uh, homesick and I was uh, alone in the hotel, Larry Drew, 
Credit to Larry Drew, Jason Kidd that came to the team and pushed me, told me not, do not shoot, but okay. You know, I, I develop other parts in my game, you know, getting to the rim, shooting the mid-range shot, you know, just be dumb and get to the free throw line. And Coach Bud, you know, Coach Bud believed in me, told me that in order for me to win, in order for me to be great, I have to trust my teammate. You know, I have to trust my team, I have to make the right pass. You know, I cannot be stubborn, you know, and I got to trust the process. You know, and uh, it was a, it was a three-year process, but we, we, we got it done. I want to thank all of these guys, and as I said, I've done it all on the court. I've done it all off the court, and I'm um, keep I'm um, keep going. I can't stop. I can't stop. That's like my personality. I'm not stopping. All right, there's a lot there with uh, Giannis, and and for me to go back to John Hammond when he drafted him because I remember when that happened. He, again, brought his family over there, and it was within the uh, first couple of years where Giannis was homesick, and they made him feel very very comfortable. And I thought it's interesting too. Jason Kidd basically said, "Listen." Don't don't try to be Dirk Nowitzki. Don't try to be some of these other guys. Don't shoot. And Giannis says, "Well, okay, if that's what I what I need to do until you can hone your game." And then again, he developed into that complete basketball player. Yeah, absolutely. And then that certainly stood out to me too when he said, "Now the guy's scoring fifty points in an NBA <laughs> Finals championship game, winning the MVP of the series." But when he first came to the team, they told him, "Don't shoot. Right. Work on your other stuff. The shooting will come." So they were patient enough to do that. You know, we were talking about other guys that were were drafted and came over, and some that worked out, and some that didn't, or whatever. It kind of reminds me when Giannis came in because there wasn't as much hoop and hype about him because he was kind of a project, like you said, and that's why Milwaukee took him. But I remember when Darko Milicic first came in the league with Detroit, and there were so many expectations on him. And it sounds like the treatment that Detroit gave him was the exact opposite that Milwaukee gave Giannis. He was expected to be a star. He wanted to be, you know, they wanted him to immediately come into the lineup and change the franchise around. I remember watching him at the NBA Summer League game, that rookie season going into it, and he looked like a kid completely lost. He didn't know the language. He didn't know his teammates. He didn't know the people. And there were so many expectations that they basically crushed his career and he crumbled under it, whereas Milwaukee brought in Giannis and said, look, I know you're a high draft pick, but don't shoot. We're going to teach you the game. We're going to grow with you. We're going to grow the franchise with you. They gave all the nurturing and everything else that they grew together as opposed to something like with Detroit where they brought a kid in and said, all right, you're the savior. Go get it done. And it's like, what? Just wonder at this point in time right now, and you mentioned earlier, hey, does this give the other small market or mid-market teams some hope here? And again, it, it really starts with the front office, who you're drafting, who you're developing, who you're keeping around. The cornerstone of this franchise is, is Giannis and Chris Middleton, and they came in together. They've both been there for eight years. And it's lightning in a bottle. Yes. And neither one of these guys, like I said earlier, were high-drafted guys that you could say, hey, you're going to be the cornerstone of our franchise. We're going to build a five, team six, around seven, this. Eight. Right, Exactly. But they always had these other pieces to the puzzle. And when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, we can say Giannis did it all. Giannis MVP, regular season, playoffs, postseason, NBA Finals. But this doesn't happen without Chris Middleton. It doesn't have, and again, with those two guys, the way they shared the moment last night, I loved it. It wasn't just about Giannis. And Giannis says, Chris, come on over here. It's all about those two guys. They together are the cornerstone of this franchise, and I like Mike Bootenholzer kind of taking a back seat because they were talking about firing him five weeks ago. 
They're talking about firing this guy. If you don't win it all this year, you're going to be gone. And you're not going to praise this guy for making great you know, adjustments or X's and O's and that sort of thing. But you, who you praise is the entire organization for putting this team together, bringing in Drew Holiday, and let's talk about Holiday defensively because when he started locking Chris Paul down and Devin Booker, that's when this series changed, you know, in games three, four, five, and six, and Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis is so loved in that community and good for Bobby Portis because that is the guy that's kind of been shunned in, in other places. He came out of Arkansas. He was a big-time scorer in Arkansas, and he thought, hey, I'm going to have this great career. The Bulls drafted him, never worked out, had nothing to work with there. That franchise, in disarray, different coach after different coach, tried basically catering to guys like you know, Derrick Rose and other people. It just didn't work out for him. Went to a, uh, you know, a couple other places, and he gets to Milwaukee, and it's like, wow, I, I, I found my niche. I found my role here. So him, Brooke Lopez, who was big last night, had some big minutes. I thought he had a really good series. I he thought did. he had a good playoff he because did. he played down low, he, he, and he gave them valuable minutes throughout the course of these right. playoffs. Right. P.J. Tucker, another guy. So you look at seven, eight of these guys who really contributed for this team, that's why they're hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. Not just Giannis. All of these guys are ho- hoisting it, and this is a true championship team in every facet of the world. And again, how can you root against the Milwaukee Bucks? I don't know one person that should be rooting against the Milwaukee Bucks or has a negative thing to say about the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I could, I, I agree with you on the negative thing to say. I mean, you could root against them if you're from Phoenix. I get that. Or if you're just well, a yeah, diehard you know Phoenix fan. But yeah, no, no, yeah. no, I totally know what you're yeah. saying. I do want to throw in one other thing real quick because I don't know about you, but when the Suns were still hanging around and you thought that maybe they could find a way because they were certainly going to give everything they had out there. The two things that I thought about with Phoenix, and we can talk about this later on as well, but what does it do to Chris Paul's legacy? Because a lot of people think that he really tired out and died down. But when the Suns were making a little bit of a run there, I kept on looking at Kaminsky and thinking, what are the Milwaukee fans thinking right now? Right. <laughs> what if this is the guy that hits a big shot? Because he had a nice game last night. He did. We talk about Lopez. He had some valuable yep. minutes as well. And I'm thinking. The former Wisconsinite. How, yep. how weird would that be yep. if Frank Kaminsky is the guy that forces it to a game seven? Are they going to be like, yay, Frank? In the I thought the district? exact same thing. And I was actually going back. To, to games three and four when they came back to you know Milwaukee after you know being down 0-2. Like, can Kamiski uh, come and, and do some damage? Uh, hey, I'm back and, home too. Exactly. And it, 65,000 yeah. people came into the deer just to yeah. cheer for me. And it, it, it didn't happen for him in those games. But last night, Kamiski had, had a nice, very good game. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he didn't have a ton of points in that, but he yeah. was more than serviceable. Yeah, he was. All right, we're going to be looking at this from the Phoenix side as well too. Chris Paul, what's the future there? Devin Booker. Young, rising talent, but it's all about the Milwaukee Bucks right now. All right, so we've got more of that. We've got more Giannis uh, on the lighter side as well, too. We've got some some great audio, so hang tight and listen to that. Giannis, the day after, what he was all about here today, having a great time, basically carting around, driving around town in Milwaukee, and uh, taking both of those trophies around today. How about that? They're letting Giannis carry it around. It's kind of like the old Stanley Cup. Oh, you, you want to you know, take it around today? We'll monitor this. Everybody gets a, a chance to, to you know, have it for a day. Well, Giannis has both trophies today in Milwaukee. I didn't know that you had to feed trophies. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> we'll get into that. James Donaldson, the seven-footer, long career with the Dallas Mavericks, uh, and now running for mayor of Seattle. Great friend. We've had him on before. We're going to get his take on the NBA Finals and a whole lot more hearing from him. Coming up next, T.C. Martin Show on this Wild Wednesday. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Still celebrating in the Deer District, the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, we'll have more of that for you. Hear from Giannis a little bit later on. So stay tuned with that. Think they changed closing time last night? Yeah, there was no closing time. Yeah. Well, because I mean, in Vegas, people don't know what that is. Yeah. The bars close at two, or some of them used to be four. I have no idea what it is these days because it was a long time since I've been bar hopping. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it used to be like last call, and people out here don't know what last call is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it was in Milwaukee last night, all through the great state of Wisconsin as well, too. So we'll have uh, more for you on that. Talk about uh, the crowd outside. There were a couple incidents last night. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But right now, we want to get the view from Seattle uh, for our good friend, the uh, seven-footer himself. Things are cracking up there. Things are cracking. That's right. Tonight, (laughs) it's going to be cracking. We'll get into that as well, too. And it could be with the future mayor of Seattle, the seven-footer, former NBA star, James Donaldson. James, what's going on, my man? Hey, TC, my man. I'm doing just great. How are you doing over there? We're doing great, man. I appreciate uh, you taking some time today. And I know you've been really busy up there. You got the uh, May, May, how you say it? The mayoral campaign going there. Uh, fantastic, yeah. man. I mean, you got, you got the signs printed, you got the billboards going, uh, you got the campaign yeah. slogans going. So, uh, you know, I, I know now, that means a lot to you. What is your so campaign slogan? Yeah, what is that? Uh, our campaign slogan is "Save Our Sonics, That's, Bring Back Our Sonics." I knew that too. Well, you know, because yeah. you could throw in an alternate one. You could say it takes a big man to do a big job. <laughs> well, <laughs> that goes without saying. But you know, I want people to know that hey, I'm serious about all the real issues around town: the homelessness, our our police department, getting more responsibility, accountability with them, and of course, our economic downturn. Trying to get out of that. But on top of all that, I want some good news for all of us, and that's bringing our Sonics and the NBA back to Seattle. You got that. All right, we're going to dive into that with you, uh, James, here today. But first, I want to get your thoughts on the NBA Finals. You know, we had uh, a, wow. a pretty prolific series there with two franchises, you know, that not many people were really expecting to, to be here this season. And the Bucks have had some success, right. but they haven't gotten that far. It was nice to see Phoenix skin. And now we go back to your playing career. I mean, these were two franchises that were very prevalent, you know, during your time. And I know you had some battles with with both of these franchises. So as you sat back and you watched these NBA finals, did you have a little flashback? Well, you know, it takes me back to those days. We we had some great battles against both the Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee was loaded always, but they always had difficulty getting by you know, the Celtics and the other great teams back in the East. And then Phoenix was always very good for the most part, especially when they brought on Barkley and those guys and made their run to the finals, uh, but came up just a little bit short. Both those teams played well all season. Both of them were highly deserving of being there. I know we want our big major metropolitan cities to be represented all the time, 
But these are two smaller market teams that really showed out well. Uh, Phoenix went up 2-0 and then, and then lost four in a row. That was just incredible. But it takes a player like Giannis to come through and put that team on his back and carry them with 50 points to their first championship in 50 years. And, you know, James, you played on some very good teams, some playoff teams as well, too. I mean, the Sonics, the Mavericks, uh, the Jazz, you know, just to name a few there. Uh, talk a little bit yeah. about uh, about in being in these playoff series, you know, like this, especially when you're playing in those teams that we mentioned right there. Those are your smaller to mid-market teams, too. And the fan bases were right. very, very rapid as, as well, too, and very enthusiastic about your teams. And, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, put – our listeners in that situation playing for franchises like that? Well, you know, smaller markets and teams are really the most exciting places to be because this is really what the whole city focuses on. Uh, Phoenix, they do have the Phoenix Cardinals, of course, and, uh, you know, uh, the NBA's there. Uh, Milwaukee, you know, they've, they've got Marquette University just down the street and a couple of other things, but and the Milwaukee Brewers. But you know, when it comes to basketball season, I mean, basketball is such an intimate, up-close sport game that you see the players, you see their expressions, you see their emotions, you see them sweat and toil, and they play and play and play, and they play so many games that the whole city really gets wrapped up into it. Uh, I, I, for one, was just so happy for both these teams, uh, especially for Milwaukee. I, you know, Milwaukee has been 50 years, and I remember I, I was a kid when I was watching – uh, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yep. 50 years ago, who, who looks a lot like Giannis in a way, the long, stringy, kind of athletic player. Of course, Giannis is a much more athletic player than Kareem was, but Kareem was so graceful and just carried with dominant performances 50 years ago to their first championship, and now they just picked up their second one. You know, after the first two games, Phoenix looked like they were in such a rhythm. They had a couple blowout wins. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were writing the series off already, which you should never do when a team just holds serve in their home court for the first two games. What did you see? What was the difference? What did Milwaukee do differently, or what did maybe Phoenix do differently that turned the series around and made the Bucks win the next four games in the championship? You know, especially in the playoffs, I mean, it's like it's like a chess game. I mean, it's it's check and checkmate, and it's it's strategy. It's going back to the drawing boards. It's forgetting what went wrong the last time, and really focusing on what will go right this time. Uh, picking those teams apart and just really breaking down, uh, you know, play after play, player after player. Uh, it took great heroic performances. Uh, for Phoenix to come through with those first couple of wins, Chris Paul, uh, Devin Booker, I mean, they had big-time performances to win those first couple of games. And then Giannis went down with that knee injury, and that slowed him down for a game or two. And then he was able to come back and grit through it. But the way he puts that team on his back, the way he can just drive to the basket, layup after layup, or pull up for three-pointers and mid-range shots, uh, this was – you know, this was LeBron-esque in a way, you know, because LeBron used to do this kind of thing uh, 10 years ago when he put up 40 and 15 every single game. Uh, this was a LeBron James-type performance with Giannis, and he is really the heir apparent that we are seeing in the making right now.
All right, James Donaldson joins us, a former NBA center, a uh, great career uh, with the Seattle Supersonics back in the day, of course, the Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks, just to, to name a few. James, let's go back to Giannis, and, and you mentioned him, and you kind of talked about you know Kareem-esque when you go back to those old Milwaukee Bucks teams that you faced, yeah. but who does... Who else does maybe Giannis remind you of, of guys that you played against? Wow. I mean, guys who are just virtually unstoppable. Um, you know, uh, people don't think much about him anymore, but he is such a great player. He never won the big-time championships, but George Gervin. There you George go. George Gervin was yeah, the Iceman. Was there. Yeah. Good point. That's the, a good the, comparison. I, good comparison. I thought you might go with uh, one of your former teammates, maybe Roy Tarpley. Well, I'm looking at the body style, right. the body shape. Right. Giannis is long and lean. Gervin was long and lean for uh, a point guard, shooting guard, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, and the way he could shoot off every angle and drive to the basket, dunk on people, but always pull up and hit those mid-range bank shots. I mean, this this is the type of player that Giannis is, only bigger and a, 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 probably a much improved uh, version of what Gervin used to be. But again, I, I take it back to Kareem because Kareem, when he was real young, was long and lanky and skinny, just like Giannis is. And that sky hook that he used to put on those guys. And remember, Kareem played with Oscar Robertson, too. Yeah. I mean, those are the two guys that carried uh, Milwaukee to that championship. Oscar was at the end of his career. Kareem was just starting out, and those two guys uh, won that championship for Milwaukee 50 years ago, and I was just a kid just starting to watch NBA basketball at that time. And let's give a little love to Bobby D, too. Well, Bobby Dandridge on that team, right? Of course, yeah. Bobby D, John McLaughlin. I mean, they had a great team of guys, yes. And and this was really teamwork back then. Now you have individual superstars It just – I mean, Kareem was an individual superstar, but he played team blast basketball. He he didn't go out and try to get 60 points a game. He probably could have, but he played smart. He rebounded well. He blocked shots. He, he scored, but he got his other teammates involved, and Kareem was always that kind of player, even when his, uh, probably his coaching with John Wooden brought that into the NBA with him. Uh, Giannis learned that early. Giannis is a great, great individual talent. But he learned early in his NBA career that in order for them to get anywhere, he's got to get the rest of the team involved, too. But it always revolves around Giannis doing his thing. You know, when I see um, Giannis, and I think back to some of the old players, uh, a guy that I think of that never quite got it done in the smaller market he played until he went someplace else, and maybe it's partly the green jerseys of the Bucks and that too, but I think of Kevin Garnett when he was with Minnesota and that long, lean athletic ability uh-huh. that could do a little bit of everything. Like I say, he didn't get it done in Minnesota because yeah. they didn't get enough talent for him, but you know, he finally got his championships later on with Boston. Absolutely. Kevin Garnett was more of a, a back-to-the-basket post-up player, uh, than Giannis is, but uh, Kevin can play very much the same way, bringing it down, hitting that mid-range shot. Uh, you know, those, those kind of guys, these are the guys that can play all five positions, and you just love guys like that on your team. Bring the ball up, who can create for themselves, create for everybody else, shoot it from anywhere, and goes into the basket. And Durant is kind of a similar player as well. Uh, KD is able to put up 50 points a night and score at will from anywhere on the court. 
uh, bring the ball up. So, you know, those are your comparisons that we're making nowadays with today's NBA basketball players. All right, James Donaldson joins us. James in Seattle uh, could be the future mayor there of Seattle. We wish him luck uh, with that. But, uh, James, your mission, like you said, is to bring back the Seattle Supersonics. And those of us old school guys who love seeing the old green and gold, seeing those old teams. I mean, we go back to Gus Williams, uh, a little bit more modern. You go to Sean Kemp and and, and guys like that. How about Detlef Shrimp? We'll we'll throw that in him in there as well, too. Yeah, and and I know. And then you can even say Kevin Durant. And again, he he was on that last team, right? right? So I I know it was a devastating blow to to that community to lose the Supersonics. And those of us that love the NBA and love sports in general, that that was sad to see them go. Talk a little bit about what that fight has been like uh, you know, for yourself and other people that have been really banging on the drum to try to get the NBA to bring back the, the Seattle Supersonics. And where is it right now? Well, 12 years ago when we lost the Sonics, our, our political climate here, the elected officials, had no political will, no political backbone to, to put a stake in the ground and said, no, the Sonics are staying here. We made no attempt to keep them here. Oklahoma City rolled out the red carpet, brand-new arena, brand-new practice facilities. Everything was state-of-the-art. And so why not take a better offer? We made no, no great overtures to keep them here, and our political will just wasn't here. With me, we have that political will. I mean, I have direct contacts with the NBA. I know the NBA wants to expand to two more markets in the next five or six or seven years. We need to make sure Seattle is in a position to receive that and to welcome the NBA back to Seattle. We're building up, uh, building out our new arena, our, our remodeled arena, the old key arena, the Coliseum. Now it's the Climate Pledge Arena for the, the NHL Kraken. So we'll start that up this this fall with the NHL, uh, we can play NBA basketball in there as well, and I think it'd be an absolute awesome fit. Uh, and our, our fans have been here for 42 years. The Sonics were here for 42 years before they left. They are still here. Uh, Save Our Sonics, the large group of 40,000 fans, has endorsed our campaign because they know I'm one of the guys who can make that happen for them. You mentioned that you uh, believe the NBA is going to be adding a couple teams within the next five years or right around that time frame. How many cities do you think are in contention with Seattle that would like an NBA franchise? Because it seems like there's a lot of them that talk about it, including right here in Las Vegas, where it seems like all of a sudden everybody wants to come. Absolutely. I'd say three or four cities are in contention. Seattle, of course, uh, Las Vegas, Kansas City. Remember the old Kansas City King? Yeah. That moved to Sacramento. Uh, we used to love going to Kansas City and playing in that old arena they used to have out there. Uh, Kansas City and the not Kemper had a team Arena. There. You remember that? The Kemper Arena, don't you? Nate Tiny Archibald. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Reggie, Reggie, right. Reggie Theus before he got to Sacramento. <laughs> That's right. Sam Lacey. Yeah. They, had, they had all these great teams. And, and so, the first team, you know, James, so, remember, James, the first team that had their names underneath the numbers, their last names. Remember that? I, right. I believe that was Kansas City Kings, yeah. right? <laughs> look at that. Look at that. Yeah, some exactly old school right. knowledge. Yes, yes. Old school knowledge, baby. So, so, so those are the three cities. I, I'm surprised Vancouver's not making any noise. They get a team back up in Vancouver. 
the Grizzlies broke in with them. The uh, the Memphis Grizzlies started in, in Vancouver. So there's three or four cities that are really good, good NBA-type towns. Seattle, of course, um, being biased, is the favorite one because I know our fan, our fan appetite for this city, for this sport. We love NBA basketball. We were devastated when the Sonics left. And we've been licking our wounds ever since and just hoping and praying that somebody with some political clout, some co- political will will step up and make that happen for us. With the NHL coming to Seattle and all the hoopla around that, is that a positive for bringing the NBA? Or is it some people going, well, wait, they've already got this, they've got the NFL, they've got the NHL? Because to me it seems like it is, it's a good thing all around. Yes, it is a good thing all around. I mean, we've been blessed here in Seattle. We've got the best of everything here. Uh, some of the world, world leaders in corporations, Starbucks, Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing, I mean, they're all right here in Seattle. We've got every imaginable professional sports team, uh, WNBA, the, the baseball, football, soccer. Uh, we've got them all. We've got hockey coming. So the only piece that's missing is the NBA to come back. And once they get back here, it will complete that whole array of professional sports. Uh, and we are blessed to have that many different choices, along with our great arts and cultures that we have here. Seattle is a great place to be. We want to get back to being that world-class city that we used to be. Uh, I've been here for 41 years. I came in in 1980, and the 90s and the 2000s, Seattle was ripping and roaring. Tech tech was on its way, and all these techies came in and made Seattle what it is now. Uh, We can get back to that, and that's what I'm looking to, to help us do. All right, no better candidate than James Donaldson. And don't forget, James, the food's pretty good there in Seattle as well, too, as we know. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Food. Oh, yeah. The, music, the music scene also. We you got, got all that the right. grunge yeah. yeah, remember that? The yeah, but you, you and I are not grunge guys, James. We're not grunge guys. I was okay? going to say, how many, how many flannel t-shirts you got in your closet there, yeah, TC? Exactly. <laughs> James and I are the funk brothers, okay? Bring the funk to Seattle, okay? There we go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's hey, right. Yeah. You know, you know James, uh, you mentioned the Seattle Kraken, and the NHL expansion draft is actually tonight, so the timing here is, is pretty perfect with you. And, you know, people here in Vegas, very familiar because we went through this four years ago and how well it worked out for the Vegas Golden Knights. What is that scene like for people in Seattle anticipating uh, the expansion draft tonight? And what is the hype level for hockey there? You know, I don't know exactly. I'm not a huge, huge hockey fan. Uh, but I know the, the, I feel it in the atmosphere, in the newspapers, the sports writers. Everyone's getting excited about the Kraken. Uh, you know, I think they've sold out most of their season tickets coming up. They're ready to play in front of a packed house every single night. Uh, so those who are really into hockey, they'll be watching tonight uh, with, with a fevered pitch and great anticipation of picking up some great players to add to their team. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm going to turn into a hockey fan and get down. It does, the arena is just down the street from me, not too far. So I'll be over there as often as I can be, watching it, taking it in, and becoming a legitimate, you know, first time for me hockey fan. Uh, until the NBA gets back, then the NBA takes over the priority again for me. There it is. All right, James, uh, real quick. In the last time we had you on, we talked about your book, Celebrating Your Gift of Life, uh, a fantastic yeah, read, yeah. fantastic book about – you know, everything that you've overcome, 
uh, just rooting for you, my man. I mean, you know, just uh, glad to call you a friend and uh, talk a little bit more about that book because I want people to get that. Well, you know, this book is uh, really detailing uh, my personal journey through that depth of darkness and depression just only back in 2018. So for 12 months, I journeyed through this valley of darkness and depression and just misery and really was at the point of wanting to end my life. There was no hope. There was no tomorrow. There was no love for me in my life. I didn't feel it. And it took me all those months to work through that with, uh, of course, medical professionals, a great group of close, intimate friends. I count a couple of my old coaches, Lenny Wilkins and George Raveling in that group who called me and stayed on top of me, and I was able to call them anytime I needed to. They walked me through all of that. And so this book is about that. But also I offer a lot of great strategies and helpful tidbits on how other people going through these very, very difficult times can work their way through it and not give up. That's the key. Don't give up and reach out for help. I've made it through, and I can tell I'm totally on back, back on top of my game now because now I look out in front of me and I have a world of, of possibilities and opportunities right in front of me. Uh, two and a half years ago, that was not the case. I had absolutely nothing in front of me. But now I am raring to go. I'm running for mayor. I got my foundation going. I'm, I'm doing all kind of work, speaking engagements, talking about mental health and suicide prevention. Uh, I'm right back to where I used to be, and it's a great place to be, I hope. I, I don't want to ever go back to that dark place, and I wouldn't wish that on my, my worst enemy to be in that kind of uh, position in life. Uh, but we all go through difficult times, and we just need to be there for each other and to reach out for the medical professional help that's, that surrounds every one of us, suicide prevention lines and everything else. Uh, so pick up the book. It's at uh, celebratingyourgiftoflife.com, and I personally autograph every copy of it for you and send it right out to you, wishing you well, and I'm right there with you through your journey as well. Perfect. Great stuff. And I'm sure you can still dominate some people in the low post, too. Let's don't forget that. There you go. <laughs> back, back to the basket. Hey, it's like riding a bike. There you don't go. Forget. All right, James. Appreciate you, my man. We'll talk with you very, very soon. And uh, go Kraken and go Sonics. Bring back those Sonics, baby. Thanks. And James, make right. sure they don't mess up the uniforms, okay? I want the, those old school uniforms <laughs> with that little arch that says Sonics, okay? Bring it back, baby. Don't change the color scheme either. We still own all that. City of Seattle still owns all that Sonic memorabilia, Sonic logo, Sonic name, Sonic colors. We're going to keep it that way because we are that. Okay. All right, brother. Thanks, man. Be good. There he is. All right, DC. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Uh, James Donaldson running for mayor in Seattle. Wish him the best of luck. With the NHL coming to Seattle, is that going to be the first positive crack house in the USA? (laughs) Leave it to you. When we come back, Nick Bogdanovich is going to join us. We've got more audio from Giannis. We celebrate the Milwaukee Bucks' first championship in 50 years. Show. Oh! Flight nine is clear. 
your daily prescription from the doctor. It's all says K-Pass, a big ticket. T.C. Martin. And here comes the Birdman. Flapping his wings and soaring for a sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things. With that sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Deuce here, Milwaukee Bucks champions. Want to thank James Donaldson, the former center. Great stuff there. Go to the website and you can hear that interview back. And always love having that guy on. And uh, tonight in Seattle, he's there. The Seattle Kraken. They'll have the expansion draft. We'll dive into that a little bit later on this hour as well, too. James Donaldson trying to bring back the Seattle Supersonics NBA to the Seattle area as well, too. NBA Finals last night, all Giannis, all Bucks. Congratulations to them. Uh, great stuff. Uh, so you can go back to the website here the first hour. We've got some Giannis sound there. We'll have more Giannis audio for you this hour as well. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank on this Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show, of course. Streaming live, tcmartinshow.com. Nick Bogdanovich from William Hill. We'll talk to Nick a little bit later this hour as well as we talk about uh, the betting side on who cleaned up in the game last night as well as the series. So a lot of stuff to, to touch on. We've got some Olympics to talk about uh, as well, too. But uh, still, And I was watching a lot of that last night. A lot of Olympics, softball, mm-hmm. and women's soccer. So, you know, the, time, the, the, the Olympic stuff will actually start for us around 7 p.m. or so because of the time difference over there. Now, it does go till about 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever. So, yeah, a lot of it's going to be in the middle of the night, some of the feature events and that. But uh, got a little bit of the taste of the Olympics. It is a little bit strange seeing the empty softball stadiums and soccer stadiums and everything else out there. But I wanted to pose a quick question to you when you mentioned the Kraken and their draft tonight. Remember when the draft happened back with Vegas and all the excitement and the anticipation? And We knew Marc-Andre Fleury was coming here, and then there was a lot of question marks and a lot of players people didn't know about. And, you know, when... Tuck and Holla both came, and, you know, Riley Smith and Marshall came together in that. All the reports out of Seattle right now is that one of the reporters up there has done a phenomenal job, probably a couple of them, and they've basically already unveiled what the roster is going to be. Doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of surprises there. Does that take away of the excitement? Because I remember in Vegas, yeah, we knew Mark Andre Fleur was coming, but a lot of these other guys, people had no idea. They kind of had an idea Derek England was going to be coming here because he lived here and everything else. But there was a lot of question marks and a lot of players that people were trying to look up and find out about. In Seattle, it looks like they're already looking them up because they kind of know who they are. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be right on the nose and it's going to be 100%. But it seems like they've taken a lot of the guesswork out of tonight's draft. Yeah, and again, it's not surprising because, again, with the facet of social media, this is what we get. Everybody wants to break a story and call it good journalism or guys getting ahead of it. But, yeah, it definitely takes away uh, you know, a lot of the anticipation and the excitement. And I think you know, Seattle has learned a lot from what happened in 2017 here with the Golden Knights. And, again, you know, it was – a lot of pomp and circumstance. Uh, again, at that point in time, you got to remember, aside from Marc-Andre Fleury, 
there was a lot of people that didn't even know who majority of these guys were. They because, knew Derek England is the fighter guy yeah. that used to play with the Wranglers. But exactly, <laughs> even that. I mean, you had to be a, a, a deep dive hockey guy to know that. Well, no, but and, I'm, but I'm saying they, they thought he was a a, a, a Wrangler player. R- they, right. They didn't think he was an NHL right. player. Right. Right. And I don't know if if Seattle has any of those type of, of Derek England you know guys that grew up there or played there and has been on another team, whatever. But I thought it was pretty interesting that. They came out, you know, to your point here, they came out and said, hey, we're not taking Carey Price. Carey Price isn't, you know, for the had, you know, a fantastic season, especially the postseason. The Golden Knights thought Carey Price had, you know, too much of a fantastic season uh, in net uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. Well, that's Montreal but, dangling the carrot. Right. Almost, hey, we love Carey Price here. But we wouldn't be totally against getting his salary off our books either. Correct. And then the reports come out yeah. now that they're looking at his knee. Yeah. But I think that, you know, if you're in Seattle and you have community, you're going to look at this night with great anticipation and say, finally, you could, you could put a, you know, names to a logo now and names to this franchise. Start look, selling jerseys. Look, look, how, look how long it took them to name a coach. I mean, we thought they'd name a coach a year ago. And they just it just happened recently. Well, so. and Vegas kind of did the same thing. Yeah, I mean, they didn't bring Turk in here right away. George McPhee basically said, look, we're going to build the team in that, and then we'll worry about who's going to coach him or whatever. So, I mean, it wasn't a high priority for them either. And when they named Turk right before the draft and that, he basically said he picks the players, I decide what to do with them. So I don't know that they have that same symbiotic relationship up there in Seattle. But, I mean, if I'm a coach, I kind of know what I, I, I want to have a say in some of the stuff. But in Vegas, they didn't build a team that way. And I think a lot of people in the national media are saying, hey, I mean, go back to what the Golden Knights did, and they've kind of spoiled it for the next expansion team, which happens to be now the Seattle Well, they Kraken. set the bar incredibly exactly. high. You, 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 you're not high jumping, you're pole vaulting. Exactly. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see all that shakes down tonight when the Seattle Kraken get to formulate their roster for the very first time. Talk about the Olympics. It seems strange. I don't know about you, but... It, it definitely caught me by surprise, a lot of people by surprise. Like, oh, wait, we're already playing games? Wait a minute, the opening ceremonies aren't till Friday. But we had softball that, that started yesterday. We had soccer that started yesterday. And then the biggest news already, the biggest blockbuster came out that the U.S. women's soccer team played a game and lost. And they lost decisively to Sweden by a score of 3 nil. And it was not even that close. I mean, this was a big-time shock. So Olympics already underway, which I'm not a fan of. And we've got basketball that's going to be starting as well before the opening ceremonies. And we get right into it. But it's already happening. I mean, I believe the soccer team and the softball team already have, what, two games under their belt before they walk in the opening ceremonies on, on Friday night. But USA women's soccer team losing to Sweden. This is notable because they rarely lose. You got to go back to the last time that the USA women's soccer team lost. They were unbeaten in the last 44 matches. Think about that. 44 matches unbeaten. Now, of course, there were four draws in there, okay? But they won 40 of those. They won 40 games, had four draws, hadn't lost a game in years. And you got to remember, they, they reached the gold medal match in five of the last six Olympic games. So for them to get beat by Sweden, to get shut out by Sweden, and if you watch any part of the game or read any of the reports, you'll see that the United States was non-competitive. 
And this seems strange as can be. Sweden was quicker to the ball. They swarmed him on defense. USA had no clue. I saw highlights where USA was was going down the field, and there was no help. There was like five Swed- uh, Swedish defenders that were back there, and, and there were no Americans to help. And they like got their hands up like, where, where's my help? This was an embarrassing performance, and it may go under the radar a little bit just because it came basically on the same day or, you know, the next morning, you know, because of the Tokyo time of the, of the NBA Finals and the championship won by the Milwaukee Bucks. But this is an embarrassment. Well, and, and I did actually watch the game. I watched pretty much every second of the game. Maybe I was watching another game as well at the time. But um, what struck me was the lack of energy. The USA came out flat. They didn't play. There was no cohesiveness, like you mentioned. There wasn't any set plays. They looked lost on the field, on the pitch. Uh, when they were playing, I, I think at one point when Sweden had 14 shots and like eight of them on goal or whatever, the USA had two shots on goal at the same time. They weren't getting opportunities. They did hit one post, but Sweden completely outplayed them. They dominated them. And the, and the girl for Sweden got the first two goals. She then got injured and had to leave the game. Hopefully she'll be okay. But I believe it was her replacement that came in and got the third goal as well. And Sweden, three to nothing, that sounds really bad. It could have been worse right. because they were putting more pressure on. The USA never looked like they were in this game. They got a couple opportunities towards the end in extra time a little bit. But, no, they looked completely lethargic. They didn't know what they were doing out there. It looked like they didn't have a game plan. I'm sure they did. And they did bring up during the game, I believe that Sweden, although you mentioned all the great international games that the women's team has had, I believe it was Sweden that knocked the USA out in 2016. Correct. So, yep. so, no, so Sweden came into the game confident, but they made the USA look absolutely lethargic, listless, lifeless, with no energy. The USA plays New Zealand next. New Zealand got crushed by Australia. <laughs> New Zealand is a horrible soccer team. This should team. be 8 nothing, <laughs> and, and, and it needs to be because right. goal differential could come into right. play here. The USA is not out of this by, by any stretch, right. but losing 3 to nothing. That's not like one to nothing or something because right. of the goal differential in that. They need to get New Zealand, get a lead on them, and keep the pressure on and get the ball rolling, so to speak, pardon the pun, because this was an absolutely horrible performance by the USA. And I know the announcers were saying maybe this is a good thing. It's a wake up call. I don't know why you need a wake up call in no, the Olympics. This isn't a good thing. But no. um but no. again, no. this isn't like Team USA losing to Nigerian in basketball in an exhibition. Mm. This is Olympic competition now. This is pool now. play. It started. This is pool play. Right. And yeah. they did not look good whatsoever. Confused, sloppy, weren't ready to play. Just say it, overconfident. You got to believe that was all part of it. They looked but, lost. But they were rattled, too. They were rattled when you look at this. I mean, I mean, Sweden, like I said, dom- the pressure that they put on. And you're right. Sweden has been a U.S. nemesis. 2016, it was the quarterfinals. They knocked the USA out of the, those Olympic Games. Yep. And the last time that the United States uh, didn't win this year against Sweden, it was a 1-1 draw earlier this season. So, yeah, this is... Could USA have an early exit? Hey, we talked about it with the men's basketball. We've seen the women's basketball team, you know, going after seven straight gold medals. They lost an exhibition game already uh, to Australia. USA men lost twice here. Granted, they're exhibitions, but still not a good sign. And here's the perplexing part for me about this as well, is that the USA women's soccer team was one of the few teams that have had several 
exhibition games. There are teams that are playing there right now that haven't had exhibition games because of COVID. They're coming in. This is going to be like the first time many of them played in about a year. Think about how strange that sounds. But Team USA, they've been playing despite the pandemic, and you get drilled 3 nothing. Yeah, now, I know Megan Rapinoe didn't uh, enter the game until late. She's yeah, got a 60-second minute, I yeah, think. She, yeah. she, she's got a, she's uh, nursing a, a knee injury or something like that right now. She did seem to give a little bit of life to the team when it was there. But, again, if she's nursing an injury, I don't know how much she's going to be there. To be honest, and I kind of channel surfed between all the different games last night when I was kind of tossing and turning again. And um, Brazil's the team that impressed me the most of the women's soccer teams. Now, maybe it's because of the competition. Japan and Canada had a real interesting game. Japan scored like, it was funny because I think Canada scored in the first six minutes and then right. they scored with like six minutes to go. So, But, I mean, that was a draw, which uh, both teams are probably happy with the draw, but they're probably also not happy that they didn't get the win. So there was some interesting games. But, again, New Zealand is not a good team whatsoever. Saturday, the USA women better put it on New Zealand, and they better beat them big time because if they don't, this team's in trouble. And I can, I'm not saying they're not going to meddle. They certainly have the back class and everything else, but it was a horrible start. Yeah, they got to use this as a wake-up call, and this could be one of the major stories of the Olympic Games before we even had the opening ceremonies. It's crazy. All right, so back to the NBA Finals. Again, uh, talked a lot about it last hour. Let's hit it on again. Just a fantastic performance by the Bucks. First time in 50 years, champions are the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 50 points, 14 rebounds, did it all. He scored, he rebounded, he had steals, he had blocks, he held DeAndre Ayton to 12 points. Sold popcorn at halftime? He did it all. (laughs) And more importantly, 17 for 19 at the free throw line for Giannis. The team was 25 for 29. Give credit to all of the Bucks. Chris Middleton, fantastic. Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, P.J. Tucker, and uh, this game was started out very sloppy. And I knew that you know, we had talked about from a betting perspective, we're going to have Nick Bogdanovich on here pretty soon, uh, the under was in automatically because these guys were sloppy. Had 32 turnovers, 18 by the Bucks and 14 by the Phoenix Suns. This was just, you know, it started out some ugly basketball, but Phoenix never got untracked. They, were, they looked the same to me as they did in their three previous losses. And they... Uh, you know, were forcing up bad shots. Shot selection was was very, very questionable. They were careless with the basketball. We talk about Team USA, the women on the soccer uh, pitch being flustered. That's the way Phoenix looked uh, as well, too. But again, it, I'm not going to say Phoenix wasn't ready to play because they challenged the Bucks. They came back, you know, in, in the second half. But the bottom line was this was a tale of two different teams. When you have home court advantage, you get out to a 2 0 lead and you lose. Four in a row, you got severely outplayed. I don't care what the final score says. I don't care what the stats say. I don't care you shot a high percentage. You couldn't play defense, and you had no answer for Giannis and the Bucks. No, I, I agree. And again, they looked frustrated. Um, the one thing that Phoenix has done, at least, is they usually get off to the quick start. They didn't even do that last night. And I thought that was a telltale sign. If Milwaukee got the lead. I thought it was going to be very tough for Phoenix to come back and get the victory in this game because of the atmosphere and everything else. But Milwaukee just fell apart. It's like they they either forgot what they did the first two games or Milwaukee made the the little adjustments, like you mentioned, you know, some of the defensive changes and this, that, and the other, and Phoenix had no answers for them. And and, and that's a bad thing and something, obviously, that they couldn't contend with. And maybe it comes to a little bit, too, like we talked about quite a bit here. They're a young team. Maybe the moment was just too big for them because Milwaukee was supposed to be here before this last night. 
So maybe Phoenix just needs to grow. I just don't know what changes to make or whatever, especially in personnel and that kind of stuff. And Chris Paul could opt out. You know, he he's been bouncing around the last you know few seasons. This could happen again. But uh, the, the Bucks, strong, more experienced team, more veterans, uh, just a, just a fantastic job. And again, it was, I'm happy for that community, that city, that state, uh, all of Wisconsin. Uh, uh, very very happy what's going on there. Did but, you have your brat? I, I did not have the brat last night. I I did not. I I opted uh, away from that. I know, right? Uh, so we talked about the seventeen thousand three hundred ninety-seven screaming maniacs inside who just you know party central. We saw the scene outside. We talked about it yesterday. Sixty-five thousand fans. Uh, police were out there. National Guard. But there were there was some trouble following the game last night. Shots were actually fired at twelve forty-two a.m. Uh, right there on Water Street in the Deer District. Uh, luckily. Uh, there were no fatalities, but three people were wounded. Uh, there was a police officer that was trampled earlier on the evening as they, again, p- they were letting people into the Deer District. And just for people that don't know what the Deer District is, it's, you know, outdoor setup. There's restaurants, there's bars, but they set up, you know, multiple big screens out there and people wanted to, you know, that couldn't get inside. We've seen it, anywhere, It's like a really large yes. Toshiba Plaza right. out there Thank outside you. of T-Mobile. And we've seen anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 fans. And last night they opened up, they expanded, uh, you know, viewing possibilities there in the Deer District and 65,000 were there. Those those numbers were no joke, and you, and you see the video of it. The National Guard, like I said, the police, they were all out there to be very preventative. Uh, one police officer got trampled, um, you know, when they said, hey, we've reached our capacity here. Luckily, he wasn't seriously hurt, but uh, they had the barricades. They were, had those up in the air. They were moving those things. Uh, you know, most people were trying to behave, uh, you know, pretty cautiously, but uh, there were fans last night climbing light poles, we saw others jumping off the bridge into the water, uh, but it is disturbing when you hear that three people got shot oh, and got wounded. And uh, let's just hope that uh, you know there's not going to be any more of this. Right, and, and unfortunately, that that's one of the unfortunate side effects. Everybody loves to win, and you love when your team gets championships. But the one downside is. How bad is your city going to be ravaged by the people supposedly celebrating? Because people that do that kind of stuff are not the fans of the team that are celebrating. There's people that go down there just to cause trouble. That's why they turn over police cars and they turn over cars and they burn vehicles and they do this, that, and the other. Those are not the fans. But, you know, you hope that when a city's ready that they can be a little bit classier. Sounds like they were for the most part classy, but when you get any crowd of that size, there's going to be some incidences that's an unfortunate reality. Of yeah, it sounded like you know. Again, there's you know, there's one gunman that was out there, and and like I said, uh, three people wounded, but thank goodness no fatalities. All right, yes, and the person was arrested as well too, so that's good. All right, so on a lighter side, uh, twelve hours later, Giannis took to the streets of Milwaukee today. He was in a great mood. He's rolling around in his car. He's got the Larry O'Brien trophy. He's got the Bill Russell trophy. Did he have the seatbelt on them? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not driving his okay. little black Mercedes. We'll make sure uh, they're safe. So we thought we would give you some sound from Giannis making the rounds today. Uh, of all places, Chick-fil-A. Giannis talking about getting a haircut, talking about what he's doing with these trophies. He's been concentrating on playing basketball. Man, I can't go to bed. I can't sleep. Hungry, gotta get a haircut. I was I was so dedicated to the game, man. I said, "F haircuts, 
F looking good. I'm just here to hoop. I'm just here to hoop, man. I don't want no haircuts. I want to be looking ugly out there, man. I want to be looking ugly and getting buckets out there. Nobody tries to look cute out there. I'm just here to hoop. Man, I look cute when I get married or something. I don't want to look cute now. <laughs> so Giannis wasn't worried about haircuts. I don't think he was ugly, but... Uh... Uh, Phoenix Suns, man, they they know that his game wasn't ugly. See, I was not cutting my hair in support of Giannis because I figured if he's not going to get one, I'm not going to either. <laughs> of course, even if he does get one, I'm still not going to. All right, Giannis living the life, feeling good, feeling free. Well, what's it? What, what, this is the Larry O'Brien, right? Is, is this the Larry O'Brien? <laughs> which one? Is, I don't know which one. This is the Larry O'Brien. This is the Bill Russell. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, Giannis with the uh, trophy mess up. So Giannis went over to Chick-fil-A, and he wanted to, to go get some food, not necessarily for himself, but for a, a lot of other people. And so that clip there was talking about uh, the, he had the two trophies, and he, I don't think he was sure which one was the Larry O'Brien trophy for the NBA champions or which one was the MVP, which he now has and owns as the Can he uh, use Bill the Russell carpool trophy. lane with that? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And, and were those trophies buckled up there? I think they were. I, I think uh, hopefully they were. All right. You know, uh, got it. Got it. Pretty. You know, it's it's not like he's on a boat throwing him into a lake or something like that. So Giannis <laughs> even threw out a Vegas reference. I mean, here it is. Twelve hours later, he's rolling around Milwaukee talking about, "Hey, I got to get some food. Going to have some fun." But there's a Vegas reference. I'm supposed to be in Vegas right now. I was supposed to be in Vegas right now, you know, party. But I'm here at Orange Chick fil A. With, with the two trophies. With yeah, the two trophies. You had to bring the two trophies. I mean, of course I had to bring wrong with you. These trophies are not leaving my side. <laughs> what if all of a sudden I wake up and this is all a dream? Come These trophies. Ah, ah! These trophies. Are my security basically? Like I touch them and I know this is real. <laughs> even even the bugs know. Look at. <laughs> What's that? You holding both the trophies. Oh, uh, uh, so you're not letting them down. Uh, and Chris is holding money. Money. <laughs> uh, who, who is this? That's Drew. That's Drew. Who is Drew holding? Oh, uh, lasso. Um, because basically a uh, great defender. All right, <laughs> yeah, I'm just talking about the trophy. The, the guy's a little happy. I mean, he's just freewheeling right now. Right, but but his is natural happiness. Yes. It's a little bit different than we saw with Tom Brady and with Kucherov down in Tampa Bay when they were uh, a little maybe inebriated or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to different places than Chick-fil-A when they celebrate down there. So Giannis is in the drive through line, going through Chick-fil-A, and here he's placing his order. Can I have a 50-piece? Sorry, I will put you... Uh, can I put your camera? Do you mind or no? Sure, <laughs> I just uh, there's 150,000 people watching you right now. Really? Yes. So can I can I have please a 50 piece Mac Minis, 50 exactly, okay. not 51, not 49, chicken minis, yes, 50. And um, let me have a large drink, no ice, half Sprite, half lemonade. Okay. Thank you. My pleasure. There it is. They, that girl was at Cloud Nine there at uh, at Chick Fil A. What do you think of that order? I find it interesting that it is half half Sprite and half lemonade. Yeah, that's healthy. I, I, that's healthy, man. Well, I mean, it's not as unhealthy as some <laughs> other things. I no, mean, no ice, by the way. No, I, I I used to mix my Coke and Sprite years ago, and I'd say, "Give me a spoke," and <laughs> and people thought I was kind of weird for that. But um, 
never heard the lemonade with Sprite before. It almost makes me want to try it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe that'll be a Milwaukee championship drink. I'll tell you what's all – maybe in the color combo, too. Kind of goes you know a little bit there in the Milwaukee. Yeah. But I'll tell you what's a lot better. Nunchuck's thing about Coke and peanuts. That's it. Forget that. I don't want to hear that nonsense, Nunchuck. <laughs> Coke and peanuts. He tried to sell that to you. Remember that last week? Yeah, knowing that I don't eat anything with nuts in there. Yeah, like that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah. no, I would never have that. But, no, I find that Also, 50 minis. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's the mini sandwich at the Chick-fil-A. I, I thought they were like nuggets. They were, yeah, with the, they were the nuggets. And I think he kept calling them, like, I started to say McNuggets. I think well, no, but, 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 he said, but he said on there chicken minis. So chicken I think that's minis. a mini sandwich. No, they were, they were, I think, the things where you eat, yeah. The, 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 you get the dipping sauce and that sort yeah. of stuff for it? yeah. So, okay. all right, we got one more from Giannis. Do you work for Chick Fil A? I do. You do work for yeah. Chick Fil A? Yeah. Let's go, hey, Bucks. Hey, free Chick Fil A for life. Yeah. Hey, look. That's not my call. One hundred sixty thousand. <laughs> Let's go, I'm Bucks. Put, hey, I'm putting you on the spot. Hey, it's oh. right here. Oh my God. There you go, okay, guys. I got I gotta go, hey, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Great, great, great. I gotta go. I gotta go. Now. See you guys. Hey, I tried my best. I thought, babe, I thought we were going to get Chick-fil-A for life. <laughs> There's no way. That's why, that's why I signed in Milwaukee. So I can get free Chick-fil-A for life. <laughs> okay, you know what people are saying right now. Giannis, you don't need free Chick-fil-A for life. But I got a feeling, though, if he rolled inside to a Chick-fil-A, and I've seen this happen with him with other places, they're, they're going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. But it, it's very possible. Remember the um, goalie up in Ottawa in the NHL who uh, went by the name of the Hamburglar because they would throw hamburgers on the ice when he played goal, and he actually brought so much p- press in that and advertisements to McDonald's that in the Ottawa area and in that province they gave him free hamburgers for the oh, rest yeah. of his life. So why not petition for it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, free Chick Fil A for life doesn't sound bad. Probably also gets to move to the front of the line. 12 hours later, Giannis is rolling through the Chick-fil-A, ordering food, taking selfies, uh, got the video rolling for himself there. Lemonade and Sprite, little mix. Yep. No ice. And there you go with both the MVP trophy, the Bill Russell trophy, and the Larry O'Brien trophy. Good old fun with Giannis, who I believe is on his way to Vegas. Well, when he to, comes to here, party, as he when says. he comes here and he orders his lemonade and sprite, he's got he's got to order it like Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> lemonade. <laughs> Good stuff from Giannis, your MVP. All right, Nick Bogdanovich is going to join us. We come back. We'll talk to Nick from William Hill about the uh, betting aspect of the finals. <laughs> Logic and insanity mixed into a perfect prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Talking a lot of NBA Finals today, Milwaukee Bucks champions. And how did that translate to the betting window? Uh, we know there's a great series to watch. Ratings were high. Exciting games. And uh, how can you root against the Milwaukee Bucks? Virtually impossible. But how'd that translate at the betting window? Let's talk to our good friend, William Hill. Nick Bogdanovich. What's going on, my man? Nothing, buddy. What's happening? Hey, we're all good here, man. So uh, 
we can finally say, I guess, goodbye to the NBA basketball season, but not for long because we've still got basketball to bet on with the Olympic Games and other things, and we'll dive into that, Nick. But uh, specifically, let's talk about last night's game, Game 6. We saw that the Bucks were you know, like a four-and-a-half, five-point favorite. Sounded like money was coming in on Phoenix up until tip-off. Uh, break down Game number 6. I'd say the you know, 24, 48 hours prior to Game 6 and where the betting was. Yeah, I believe favorite uh, under was good for us. There was money for Phoenix. Uh, it was a pretty much a favorite series. Uh, I think the first four games, all the favorites covered. Then Milwaukee won Game Five, but for, so five of the six, the favorites covered. But yeah, last night we needed Milwaukee and under, so it came perfect for us. And we also needed Milwaukee in the future. So uh, yeah, last night was a very good result for Caesar slash William Hill. All right, man. Let's talk about the handle. How how was the handle overall for this series? It was good. Uh, you know, it had the stage by itself. Uh, the basketball junkies couldn't get enough of it, and yeah, the, the handle was very very good. I was no, no major 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 wagers that I know of. Uh, maybe a couple hundred thousand was the biggest bet during the entire best of seven, but plenty of action nonstop. So, Nick, do you think that there wasn't any major wagers here because this series seemed very, very hard to handicap? When you look at these games, I mean, I know that we're, you know, every game we're talking about, okay, like game three figured Milwaukee, okay? Milwaukee's going to answer the bell. They're going to be good. And then after game three, you could know, probably make that, that case for Milwaukee in game four. And, you know, even game five when it went back, it's like, wow, Milwaukee's got the, the mojo going, but Phoenix is back home. You know, it seems like a home home team series. And even last night, it seemed like there was a lot of good two-way action. Do you think that because of the competitive balance here and the way these guys were statistically very, very close, that it was kind of a hard series to call? Uh, I think no harder than any other. Uh, big bets are just random. Uh, might be a casino player, might be someone hedging a big future. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, big bets are very, very random. They pop up here and, and, and there, and you just never know when they're coming. So, but as far as handicapping the series, it was very, very two, you know, dead even teams. One one game was was four and a half and five on their home floor, so they were about as about very, very close to pick them as you can make it. Uh, could have went either way. Phoenix with a few more plays could be uh, already been crowned the champ, but uh, Milwaukee made a play or two more. Pretty much that simple. You know, Nick, when you talk to some of the casinos around town, they say like their clientele go this way or that way. But with William Hill, where you have books literally all over the place. How does how does that affect your betting in that? Do you have a, a, a particular clientele that likes a certain team or something? Or does because it's spread out all over everywhere, does it tend to uh just even itself out and you're gonna get two way action regardless of what the uh, game is or the teams are? No, nah, you know it doesn't even itself out very often. You you always usually have a decision. But yeah, there's no question different parts of the country uh, the games are bet differently, no question about it. Uh, in Rhode Island, which is right next to the you know the Boston area, we get just absolutely drowned with New England Patriots money, Red Sox money, Boston Bruin money. Uh, in our books in Mississippi, we get absolutely drowned with New Orleans Saints money, uh, and you know that's just the way it is. D.C. You know, get a little redskin money when they're playing good. And that's just the way it's going to be. And our books in Iowa, which is near the Chiefs, we just absolutely 
get tons of chief money. So just depending, there's definitely a regional bias. Uh, I would say there was no nothing in Milwaukee Phoenix regional bias, uh, but and uh, it, it's fun to see how games are bet diff- differently in different parts of the United States. And those lines, just to clarify for our listeners, they're they're the same. It's not like you have uh, you know properties you know over in Rhode Island or you know these other places where uh, the line is going to be different than Vegas, right? Well, actually, it depends. Uh, not by design, but by we have different systems. Like technology is the only reason we might be different. Uh, in Nevada, we use a, uh, Nevada and New Jersey. We use a betting system called CBS, and in the other states, we use Liberty. So, depending on who you know, you you can't have different sets of numbers just just because of technology. You can't change it one place and it changes everywhere. It, it's very tricky that way, but. For the most part, it's pretty close. How how strange is this for you? I mean, you've been in this business a long time, but to now have all of these different you know states that allow legalized sports betting, where before this was it, you only had to worry uh, about what was happening here in the state of Nevada, but now it is not only gone global, but specifically here in the United States and all these different states. How different is it for you just to kind of get a grasp of this, and how's it changed your job? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, when they overturned PASPA, the federal betting law a few years back, it definitely changed my world. I had a staff of 10, now i got a staff of 80. Uh, there's different rules in different states. The handle's huge. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, everything's completely different, really. I mean, uh, you know, and it's very competitive. And we're going against the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, the MGM's, so... You know, got to put out as much product as humanly possible, and you know. But it's fun. You know, it's a challenge every day, and and it, the job is, is is very fun. I'm sitting here watching the Padre game while I'm talking to you guys, and you know, it, so it, it, it's all good. But it, it is challenging work, but but a, but a lot of fun. All right, Nick Bogdanovich, William Hill, U.S. joins us, talking about. Game number six last night, the NBA Finals. Nick, how many future bets uh, you know did you have there on Milwaukee, and was there any liability? And uh, and what was uh, you know what was the peak of, of of Milwaukee say during the course of the season? We know that they were uh, you know not the favorite, but they weren't a long shot either. No, they weren't, not at all. Uh, Milwaukee was very good for us. Uh, Phoenix was bad. Uh, they were uh, you know picked third in that division behind the Clippers and the Lakers, so they were up there pretty high. So they went off an undefeated bubble last year and then just played good all year long. So a lot of people got on them early, 50-1, to 40-1, to 30-1. to 1. So there was liability for Phoenix. Uh, and if you were an investor in Phoenix at a good price, you probably hedged out and made a pretty good score. So, But Phoenix, I don't think Phoenix was any any higher than 10 or 12-1 to 1 at any point. Obviously, the one of the favorites coming in, and rightfully so. I mean, the Greek Freak's been an MVP. Middleton and Holiday were studs, so and they were on the weaker side. I mean, the eastern eastern side's a little easier to advance through, but uh, yeah, it was, it was very very good. I mean, the, the time to bet Milwaukee is when they were down 2-0. You could have taken like uh, you know five to one with them to come back, and they did it no problem, four straight. And what were those odds on the Bucks? Say you know during the course of the beginning of the season or the middle of the season. Uh, yeah, I don't think they were any 
I think the highest you ever could have gotten at the Bucks at the beginning or the middle or any time was around twelve, fifteen to one, somewhere in there, depending on if you were shopping. When it comes to um, Milwaukee now, they've won the championship. They're celebrating. People are still talking about it. But now you guys got to go right back to work because now everybody wants to know what are the odds going to be for next year's championship team. How do you see those things playing out? Milwaukee's the champ, but there were a lot of strange things that seemed to happen this year in the playoffs with injuries and fatigue and whatever else. Uh, Do you see Milwaukee being the favorite going into next year, or do you see them uh, maybe being below a few of the teams? Yeah, they're, we already got it up. Uh, the Lakers and the Nets are the co-favorites, seven to two each. They drew huge money this year, so they're going to be a little hungrier next year. So they open the favorites. Obviously, I think Brooklyn's the best if the big three are on the floor and healthy. Uh, and then, actually, Golden State at eight to one is the third choice, just because you know they're talking about going out and getting the third piece for Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. And then the Bucks are the fourth choice. Right about eight to one as well. So it's tough to repeat. Uh, they might be able to do it. They're still young. Uh, they picked up a lot of confidence this year. But those are the four teams in single digits. Then you get the Suns around fourteen to one. Clippers around fourteen to one. Jazz at eighteen to one. Sixers and Hawks about twenty-two to one. So yeah, they're up and betting them as we speak. Nick, when you go back and, and you do, like, say, your end of the NBA season kind of wrap-up and you're looking at handle and you compare it to last year where you had the Lakers, you know, win it all, go through um, the playoffs and everything, but everything was constructed in the bubble with the pandemic, where was the handle, like, say, this year compared to last year NBA-wise? Well, it, it's impossible to say here because we had a merger with Caesars and we got a bunch of big strip property, so obviously this year's handle was much bigger than the bubble. But uh, the bubble was bet real strong because it was about the only game in town and you had nothing to do but watch NBA because you couldn't leave your house. So the the bubble was bet pretty good, but nothing like this year. This year was a monster. There was a ton of handle on these NBA games. Decisions were big uh, all through the playoffs. All right. Nick Bogdanovich, William Hill joins us. Nick, uh, Olympic Games here. We know there are p- plenty of betting options here. It kind of helps that, you know, you're only competing really pretty much against baseball right now. What kind of handle do you expect to see, or what have you, have you seen anything already, even though the opening ceremonies don't start till Friday, but we've had women's soccer and, you know, softball and, and you know, some other of these, uh, you know, smaller events already? Not really sure what to expect. Uh, I really don't. I mean, the time frame is is very non-conducive for betting. Uh, You're talking about events that people never see, so they don't know a lot about, so they sort of just dismiss it. But I'm assuming the golf will be bet pretty good. Uh, The basketball will be bet pretty good because they know the golfers. They know the NBA players. Uh, the prop they're betting pretty good is USA gold medals over. We opened 43. They went over 43, 43 and a half, 44. And that's on its way to 45. Uh, so things like that, I do. I just don't know what to expect. I mean, between you know people dropping out with COVID and the time difference, some is on TV, some's delayed. It, it's tricky. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. You see, sport like the U.S. Kat Osterman threw a shutout, and she's 38 and hadn't pitched in eight years. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that the U.S. soccer women who had a 58-year unbeaten streak got whacked by Sweden 3 nothing. So, you know, it's interesting stories. But 
as far as betting goes, to be honest with you, I don't know what to expect. You know, uh, Frank would like to bet the limit here on uh, USA handball. Okay, he wants the he wants the handball team. What are you going to give him for that? That I don't know anything about. <laughs> I, I, I seen him. I see him play it. I don't understand it. It, right. it looks like something you would see at a junior high <laughs> PE class, and it looks pretty fun. But I, I couldn't tell you one thing about it. Yeah, I also I I do watch it. I kind of know the rules, but that is not the sport that I would bet on. But uh, but I am interested to see what maybe the tennis odds are when when they come up because of who's going, who's not going. And I'm a big track and field person. I'm a, I love track and field. And uh, you know, do you get much action on those individual type of events out there? Because I know in a lot of the events there's heavy favorites, but. Sometimes you can get somebody, especially like in the shot put in discus, it's somebody might have their best day on the right day, and you can get like a seventh or eighth seed that can actually win a gold. Yeah, no, not a, track and field's not bet real hard. Again, it's one of those things that people never get to see, so they just right. stay away from it. But tennis for sure, uh, you know, they'll bet the tennis for sure. Like I said, the, the, the people they know, they'll, 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 they'll bet. So we'll get some action on the tennis. All right, see, and you want to get down on the hammer throw. I know. See, you're no, ready to I, go. I actually, I actually want some place <laughs> that's going to have decent odds on Mounder Duplantis in the uh, pole vault because he will win the event. So do we? Got, I, ju- I just hope it's not so ridiculously that it's like like minus a thousand or something to get. So anything. do we? Do we well, have a line on that there, Nick? The pole vault? Not that I know of, but he, he's very correct in some of those specific events like that. There's a dominant player, and and if you wanted them to bet them win the goals, you got to lay eight, nine, ten to one, things of that nature. All right, you mentioned the uh, U.S. women upset by Sweden 3-0. Now they got to come back and, and play uh, New Zealand. And a lot of people, including myself, think, okay, the wake-up call is over. they got to probably blast somebody 8 to nothing. And that's probably going to be New Zealand. I mean, how, how much of a you know, heavy favorite are the U.S. women going to be here going forward? Uh, pretty big. I don't even know what the price is on the New Zealand game. I haven't seen it yet, but... Uh, yeah, listen, they'll, they'll come back. Uh, they'll probably be a factor when it's all said and done. But, you know, it's soccer. I mean, you can completely outplay a team, and it could be 0-0 into penalty kicks. That's just the way soccer is. So, uh, But it, I'm glad it's competitive. Uh, it makes for a more intriguing story going forward. And, and I know we've talked about the USA losing in soccer. Let's give credit, like you've already mentioned. Uh, the softball team did get off to a victory 2 to nothing. They take on Canada today, so that could be an interesting game because the teams are familiar with each other. So, uh, you know, women's softball in the softball tournament could be interesting. Yeah, women's softball is a great, great sport. We book the College World Series from Oklahoma City every year and write good action to it. And they... They eliminated it, and it's it's a sport that's came back. It should have never been eliminated. That was a horrible decision. But Japan's really good. Australia's really, really good. Canada's competitive. So that's one of the sports that I, I'm really I do want to watch. Yeah. How about baseball, Nick? You know, what, what are we thinking here? And I know that we're going to send a lot of our college athletes, I, I believe, uh, for that. Is baseball going to attract any action at the betting window? Uh, minimal. Yeah. Uh, I was reading an article. Mexico's teams consist of a bunch of SEC players, so you just <laughs> never know who shows up on what roster, and it, it's pretty curious. But yeah, now the baseball won't be bet very big. So, what about you from a personal standpoint? What uh, maybe away from the betting? What are you looking forward to looking at here in the Olympic Games here in the next three and a half weeks? Well, I want to see if the local girl, Randall Cunningham's daughter, the, yeah. she went to Gorman. She's a high jumper. I want to see her do well, obviously. Uh, local kid, we got to root for them. But 
you know, I, I, I don't like watching the sports that I watch all the time. So I'm not into Olympic golf. I'm not into Olympic basketball. Right. I want to see the girls softball. I want to see the track and field. That's the stuff I want to see. I, I'm really, to be honest with you, I'm turned off by the fact uh, on the NBA players and the and the golf and the tennis. I, I see them on a, every single week. I, I want to see stuff that I haven't seen in two or three years. So I, I love the, the track and field and the softball and the wrestling, things like that. Great point. Is there any bigger favorite in the entire Olympics than Simone Biles winning the all-around in women's gymnastics? No, I mean, because it's still gymnastics. One slip and you go. I mean, it's a, what she does is amazing. That's a perfect example. I want to see Simone Biles. We don't get to see her very often. So that's the kind of stuff I'm into. I hope she does it. Uh, but, it, listen, that stuff, one little slip and you lose. So, I mean, that's... That, that just points out how great she really is that she's been spot on it in world championships and past Olympics. And that's the thing, too. When in a sport like that, it's one slip-up. It's not like a team sport where, hey, you can give up an early goal in soccer and you can come back and win. That doesn't happen, you know, for the most part. Right. In gymnastics and, you know, diving. Yeah, you fall of... off the beam or oh, completely yeah. screw up your yeah, vault or done. something. It can definitely do And her consistency. You can argue the GOAT in almost any sport known. You can't really argue it in women's gymnastics. Right. It's Simone Biles, hands down. Final thing, Nick. There is, a, you know, you cannot wager on things that are decided by, by judges, too. Isn't that right? On some of these sports? In some places, yes, that's correct. Uh, some places have rules and needs to be decided on, on the field with no judging, but some allow the judging, so it just depends on where you're at. Okay, but you can uh, uh, wager on gymnastics and diving and, and those sort of things? Yes. You doing? Okay. All right, my friend, we appreciate the time as always. We'll let you get, get back to your, your, your Olympic TV watching. You got it, buddy. Take care. There is Nick Bogdanovich, William Hill, our great partners and great friends over there. And get by any of the William Hill Sportsbook properties, including the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Bet on the Olympic Games, Major League Baseball, and basketball. Well, taking a little little break right now, but plenty Well, the of NBA's taking a break. The Olympics. Team USA. Getting ready to tip off. Yep. Team USA, men's side, women's side. And don't forget the three-on-three. Three-on-three. A couple well, uh, aces in there. Half the team. Aces high. That's it. Jackie Young and uh, Kelsey Plum, two of the four participants on the women's three on three. And four aces is a heck of a poker hand. I heard that, yeah. (laughs) You cash out there. Call attendant. Do you get the call attendant on the video poker when you get four aces? I don't know if you get call attendant on that. Because only royal flushes or something beyond. Well, if, if you're playing um, triple bonus and you get four aces with the kicker, that's the same as a royal. Call attendant. There you go. All right. want to thank uh, James Donaldson for joining us today. Nick Bogdanovich as well. Great stuff there. And uh, congratulations again to the Milwaukee Bucks. Congratulations to all those betters that had the Milwaukee Bucks, whether it was game six winner last night to win the series, the futures. All, all good stuff there. Uh, congratulations to the Bucks. Fun series. And we'll talk more about this tomorrow as well, too. All right. For Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. We will catch you manana tomorrow at 2 o'clock. If you miss any part of the show, go check out the articles. we got the recap of the Bucks victory over the Suns. Check that out at tcmartinshow.com. Our interview with uh, B.J. Armstrong is up there from yesterday as well, too. Uh, go to the classic interview page. It's all up there at tcmartinshow.com. We'll catch you tomorrow at 2.